want to talk to you about the bride of Christ a little bit for a moment. And I, in Romans chapter 8 and verse 19, uh, you have your Bibles, turn it with me to Romans 8 and verse 19. It's on the screen as well. And it says this. It says, for all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Let me read it again. For all creation is waiting eagerly. That's a very important word. For that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. I don't think that there's anything more beautiful, more, um, uh, that I think that we wait for and anticipate when you attend a wedding than when the bride comes in. I mean, it, the reaction and the response of people typically is uh, one of consternation, of like, gasping, oh, she's so beautiful. And, uh, you know, the, the, the groom have different responses, different reactions. Tyler, are you taking notes? You're taking notes? All right. Uh, you know, the, 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 the groom is in the front, and he is, like, looking back, and he doesn't want to look back because he doesn't want to start crying. And so there's different levels of emotions that happen when the bride comes down, when the bride is revealed. The beautiful dress, the ceremony, the flowers, everything is just perfect. The truth I want to illustrate this morning is, with this analogy of the bride, is that this world, the community around us, the families that you have living around you, your co-workers, people that you know, they are waiting for something. They are waiting for the manifestation of the bride to walk down the aisle of this world and reveal Jesus to a lost and dying world. That is what this world is waiting for. Guys, this world needs Jesus. People without Him need Jesus. And we have the responsibility to tell them, you and I. Now, sadly, for some Christians in Christianity to use a, a similar illustration has become a bit of a spectator sport. We kind of hang out with the athletes. You know, we practice. We hear when the coach is giving speeches to encourage the athletes. Right? We got all of our clothes on. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a runner. You got to always have good, comfortable shoes on, you know, to go and run. And so we got all of the gear ready. But unfortunately, we sit by the wayside. We sit on the side. And we kind of like, oh, okay, they're running. Great. Keep going. Encourage the runners by sitting on the stands. Worse yet, for some, they completely just sit and do nothing. And there's an apathy 
a state of apathy that can very easily come into the believer, especially in this day. Why is that? Why do we struggle with apathy? Why do we struggle with getting in the game? I ask myself that because you know what? Some days I struggle. Some days I like probably should just stay in bed today. <laughs> you ever go through those days? Come on. So why is that? What are we allowing in our lives? Is it doubt? Is it doubt in our abilities? Is it doubt that we cannot run? And yet, we have gotten all the training. We got the good sneakers on. We are ready to go. But somehow, something is hindering us. You See, guys, it takes us sometimes asking ourselves the hard questions. Why is it that I don't want to read my Bible? Why is it that I don't want to pray? Why is it that I don't want to go to church? Why is it? Why is it? Why don't I want to witness? Why don't I want to be revealed? Why? What are we allowing? You know, for some, they're, they've gotten frustrated and jaded at Christianity. Maybe they were impacted, hurt by somebody. They got all their gear ready to go, but they somehow never get in the race because just something hinders them from running. And while you may be struggling with stuff, and your struggle is real, but I, I don't want to underestimate and undermine the struggles that you're living because, you know what, we always go through it. But while we are struggling, there's a world out there that does not know Jesus that is actually if Jesus were to come back today, many would end up in hell. How many of you that know that hell is a real place? You know, hell is a real place. It's not a, uh, a um, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Some kind of a, of a uh, story, uh, some kind of a fantasy story that you read in a book about hell. This is not just Dante's imagination, right? This is a real place. Jesus spent seven times more talking about hell than he did about heaven. Did you know that? Seven times more in the New Testament. He talked more about hell and the dangers of hell and the reality of hell more than heaven. Why is that? Why does Solomon say it's better to go to a house of mourning than to a wedding? Why is that? Because we often forget about the reality of the uh, the afterworld sort of thing, right? After this life, what happens? And we focus on just the pleasures and the joys of life. And we're so taken up. We're taken up by the sneakers and the clothes and the crowds cheering and all the other stuff that's going on. But we never get into the game. And so while we're struggling, guys, our responsibility is pushed aside. To proclaim the gospel to other people. 
And let me just say that this is not just the responsibility of a few ministers, the professionals. It's our responsibility, each and every one of us as a body of Christ. And so this letter that Paul, the book of Romans, is, is probably the masterpiece of Romans epistles. It's, it's the most uh, comprehensive theological epistle of the New Testament. I mean, it is deep. There's so much information. And yet, in the midst of all this depth of information, there's so much practical information that we can glean from that. In the context of chapter 8, which happens to be my favorite chapter, Paul highlights the importance of a life lived in the Spirit. He shows us at the beginning of chapter 8 that there is a life that you can live by the Spirit, in the Spirit, but also you can live by the sinful nature, by the flesh. And we know that the sinful nature, the flesh, the fruit of that is just not good. If you live by the flesh, and the flesh in terms of the sinful nature, the characteristics that it will display will only lead to fruit that will not bring glory to God. And so Paul is giving you this illustration. He said, look, you can live a life in the Spirit, or you can live a life by the sinful nature. In Romans chapter 8, verse 11, for instance, he says, and if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. Think about it for a moment. Just think about it. Christ was raised from the dead. There was power in the resurrection. Do you agree? Come on. Say yes. Amen. I, all right. I know that you're alive. Okay, good. And, and so Christ was raised from the dead by the power of God. Now, Paul is saying the same power that raised Jesus from the dead has been put in you by His Spirit. So life in the Spirit gives us the power to be able to live life like we have never thought we would imagine. Look at verse 14. It says that if we are led by the Spirit of God, Paul says you are the sons and the daughters of God. We have got to be led by the Spirit and not by the desires of the sinful nature, not by the desires of the flesh. In verse 16, it says, His Spirit testifies to our spirit that we are God's children. Man, there's like so much stuff here. And we sometimes struggle with our own image. And all we got to do is just read the Word. Read the Word. I love the last week when we had the little forum, Right? I think it was Robert and somebody else that said, hey, you know what? Read the Bible. You want to know the answer to that? Read the Bible. The answers are in the Word of God. And if we would take the time and not just spectate and look on the sidelines on what's happening around us, but actually be involved in what God wants us to do, man, what a difference it would make. Paul ends chapter 8 with uh, my favorite verse is eight, chapter 8, verse 37. It says, For we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. Right? We are more than conquerors. We don't have to struggle, guys. We have everything that pertains to life and godliness given to us. And yet we struggle. We struggle. 
We struggle. We get down. We get disappointed. We get all this stuff that hinders us from walking in the Spirit. Now, Paul is a skilled artist. He paints a picture in chapter 8 to show us that if we lean on God and His Spirit, we will see ourselves as victorious sons and daughters of God. And when we see ourselves as the Father sees us, we will shine in a world and carry the message of the kingdom wherever we go. And when we carry that message, the very life of Jesus that lives in us by His Spirit will be communicated to others. That's what He's saying. Now, in the midst of these two sections, there's a third section. And Paul said, talks about the sufferings for a moment. He says, you know, these sufferings that we're going through one day are going to be exchanged into an eternal freedom in God. All the sufferings, all, you know what? Think for a moment the difficulties that you're living right now. Oops, be quiet. <laughs> Think for a moment all of the, the issues and the difficulties, even Sirius is thinking about it. Um, but you know what? One of these days, all of the pains, all the struggles, all the tribulations, all the challenges that we have lived, that you have lived, that you and I have lived and are living right now will be changed, exchanged for eternal freedom. And so Paul mentions three things in this section. He says that, number one, creation is groaning. Creation is groaning. Believers are groaning. And then the Holy Spirit groans for us. Right? I want to focus on one of those groanings today. And that is the groaning of creation. In that verse that we've read before. Can you put it up again? The first verse in, in uh, Romans 8, 19. That the world is eagerly waiting for the revelation of the children of God. I've called this message the bride revealed because we as a bride need to be revealed to this world and it is our responsibility. But friends, the world needs Jesus. This verse that talks about groaning, it actually can be translated in modern language that the world is chomping at the bit to hear the message of Jesus. They don't even know it because they don't know what they want and they don't know what they need. But we know and God knows it. And God created, some, somebody said, I can't remember, I think it was St. Francis, that God created a void in, into the heart of man that is shaped of Jesus. He's got the shape of Jesus. And only Jesus can feel it. And people try to shove all kinds of stuff in there. All types of pleasures and satisfaction that just... It only lasts for a little bit. It does not last forever. And so what do we do about it? Number one, I think we need to realize that we are anointed like Jesus. We are anointed like Jesus. Come on, look at the person next to you and tell them, you are anointed like Jesus. Come on, do that. You are anointed like Jesus. In Luke chapter 4 and verse 18 it says this, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. You know, when Jesus walked into the temple and he quoted Isaiah, for he has anointed me to bring the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the captives will be released. 
that the blind will see and that the oppressed will be set free. So if the spirit that was in Jesus that we read in Romans 8, 11, is in us, then it says that we are anointed like Jesus was. It's a simple biblical deduction. It doesn't take a theologian. It doesn't take a scholar. It just takes someone that understands A plus B equals C, 1 plus 2 equals 3, I mean, it's just simple theology. We have the life of Jesus in us. Jesus came preaching the gospel of the kingdom. He spoke with conviction. He was led with compassion. He loved children. He loved the outcast. He fed the hungry. He delivered the oppressed. He healed every sick person. That was the ministry of Jesus. Are we doing the same ministry? Are we walking in compassion, but bold like Jesus, speaking with conviction? Are we relying on the power of the Holy Spirit to help us communicate the message of the kingdom to this world? Guys, we are sons and daughters. And as sons and daughters of the king, that means that we have what? Kingly anointing. And as a child of the king, a prince and a princess, we, many times in the olden days, the king would give the ring. A signet ring was called. A symbolic of whoever was representing the king had the authority. And so whenever they would question that, he would show them the ring and say, look, I have the authority. We have that same authority in Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit that has been placed inside of us that gives us the authority to walk in the authority of Jesus. And so, you know, sometimes we get discouraged. You know, we go and pray for somebody. We talk to people and they don't seem to want to accept the message. Or we pray for someone and they don't get, you know, touched or they don't get healed if we're praying for healing. Or they don't get delivered if we're praying for deliverance. I will tell you today, that none of that is dependent on you or on me. Our responsibility, church, is to be obedient, to exercise our faith. That is our responsibility. If we exercise our faith and we exercise what He says, and we do that out of obedience and in faith to God, He will do the rest. It is not up to me to heal anybody. It's not up to you to heal anybody. It's not up to you to convince or to convict. The Holy Spirit does that. But our responsibility is to actually step out and speak with conviction and with boldness because the Spirit of God lives in us. Can you think for a moment about the things that you like the most? What is that? Is that food? Is that your family? Is that your job? Is that a sport? Is that a team? What is it? Whatever it is, I bet that when you speak about that very thing, you have conviction. You are bold. Sometimes you get loud. You get very excited. Wow. You know? You get excited because, oh, that's, you know, I mean... 
I love food, man. Oh, you know, I made this dish. It was so good. You know, I made home bread. And it's like, oh, you know, that the house smells so good. Oh, man. Why don't we do the same when we talk about Jesus to others? Why? Are we lacking conviction? Or do we actually need to maybe get saved all over again? Because you know what? When I got saved at first, man, I was so excited about Jesus. I would tell anyone and everyone that I encountered. You know, my dad and I were the first ones to kind of like get, you know, excited about the Lord. And my mom and my brothers were kind of like a little slow. You know, my mom would go in the bathroom, smoke her cigarettes. She didn't want my dad to see her, you know, because he just came out and he's like, I, my life is transformed. Here's the cigarettes. Here's everything else. I don't want to do any of that anymore. I'm, I'm going to live for Jesus. And so we would encourage, I would encourage my older brother especially, you know, four years older than I was, you know, and it's like, come on, man, typical teenager, you know, wasn't wanted to have fun and all that stuff. But we need to have a rebirth of joy and excitement in our hearts about communicating the message of the kingdom. So let's keep on being excited. And you know what, guys, we need to seize the opportunities. How many times has God allowed you to be able to speak to somebody and you kind of like turned your back and walked away and you thought about it for a moment and you thought, man, I should have said something. I should have, I should have blessed that person that it was just telling me about all those situations that they're facing. I'm facing the same situation, so it's hard. But you know what? I should have done it. Yeah, you should have. I should have. You know how many times I walk away from a restaurant where the waitress is coming and you just, you, sometimes you can look in their face and you can see that there's pain, there's sorrow. You know what I'm talking about? And, and you can see it and you're like, man, I really should say something. I should just tell them, you know what? At the very least, Jesus loves you. Just a message of hope for someone that may be struggling with hope. So, guys, let's not be discouraged. Let's keep on exercising our God-given authority in faith and seize every opportunity because God will be faithful and he will show up. So how do we become the bride revealed? Good question. I think the first thing that we need to do is we need to cultivate the presence of God in our lives. Guys, there, there's no magic formula. There is no magic formula. For us to become the bride revealed to a lost and dying world, we have to cultivate the presence of Jesus in our lives. Now, we can minister from formulas. There's all kinds of self-help books, all kinds of ways that you can talk to people and minister to them. You can do that. But when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, i got to bring it back to what Paul is talking about here. you got a text without a context is a pretext, right? One of my professors used to say. So you got to look at the context. The context is talking about living in the Spirit and by the Spirit. And so if we live in the Spirit and by the Spirit, then we don't have to trust the formula. We trust the Holy Spirit in us. It's that simple equation. Now, William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army in the late 1800s, he said this, and I put it up. 
I consider that the chief dangers which confront the coming century will be religion without the Holy Ghost. Christianity without Christ. Forgiveness without repentance. Salvation without regenerations. And listen to this. Politics without God and heaven without hell. I mean, for the love of God, did he just hop in a time machine and travel to year 2021 and actually did that? That's incredible. Because that's where we are today. This is where we are right now. We are living in a world in which Christianity is lived without the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, without Christ, in our own strength, in what we think that we can do and we can accomplish. Forgiveness without repentance. We come to an altar, we say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins, but I'm just going to keep on doing it because, you know, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I don't have to change. He loves me all the time regardless. Yes, He does. But there has to be a transformation that only happens when there's repentance that comes alive in us. And repentance is a 180 degree turn to walk in the opposite direction. That's what repentance is. Salvation without regeneration. Politics without God. I mean, like, I, I don't like getting political, but man, I don't care if you're left or right or center, or wherever you are. They're all wrong. And if you put your hope and trust on the right, and on the left, and in the middle, and on the side, maybe left, right, or whatever, wherever you are, doesn't matter to me. You are wrong too. Because our only hope has to be in Jesus. In Jesus. I don't care. I'm not putting my hope in a president. I'm not putting my hope in a governor. I'm not putting my hope in local uh, administrators. My hope is only in Jesus. Now, they must rough, ruffle some feathers. I don't know, but that's the way that I see it. There's no substitute, guys, for his presence. To be anointed like Jesus, we have to be in a place that fosters God's presence and seek God wholeheartedly. And if we don't do that, is you know what? I say shame on us because we know the truth and we're not obeying it. How do we become the bride revealed? Number two, by renewing our minds. You see, the battle of the soul is waged right here in the mind. That's where the battle is either won or lost. So how do we renew our minds? How do we go from lack of trust to fully trusting God? How do we go from believing only in the possible because we have seen it work, because we can actually get involved and do it, to believing God for the impossible? How do we go from using humanistic thoughts and approaches to godly thoughts and strategies? I think, number one, we need to spend time with God. Spend time with God. To renew our minds, we need to spend time with God. Because Christianity, guys, must be a relationship, not just about religion. It is to spend time with God. And if you know what, I, I find personally, my own personal life, if I wake up in the morning and I, the first thing that I do, I wake up bright and early and I spend time with Jesus, 
my day goes so much better. If I wait and I say, well, you know, I'm just going to have my coffee first, and then I get a text message, and then I get an email, and then something else, and then, you know, this and that and the other stuff that needs and whatnot that needs to take taken care of, to be taken care of, then I just seem to, like, forget it. I get busy. Martha, Martha versus Mary in the Bible. It's the same thing. So we need to spend time with Jesus. Number one, number two, we need to replace our thoughts. When unbelief settles, when you start thinking that, ah, you know what, that cannot be done. It cannot be possible. It is impossible to do that. You just cannot do it. That's not in you. You know what, you need to replace those thoughts. And you replace those thoughts with thoughts of what God says about you. Truth of God's word to you. So when you hear the enemy tell you that you are not good enough, you know what? Hear God say that you are not the, the, the tail, you are the head. When, when you feel senses of, a sense of insufficiency because you don't have what it takes, you know what? Just lift up your head and say, Oh, thank you, Jesus, that I don't have what, what it takes because now I can totally rely on you. What the enemy means for evil, turn it around for God's good. Replace your thoughts. Be also eternally minded. Don't just live for yourself, for your daily activities. You know, the to-do, the proverbial to-do list that we all have. I have a to-do app. I mean, I'm like, I just put everything in there, you know, for my wife and I, for my staff, for like, okay, you do this, you know, make sure that it's taken care of. If not, you forget. But we have this crazy to-do list, right? But you know what, guys? Kingdom citizenship demands that we think further than the here and now. We have to focus on making an impact for eternity. And we can only make that impact for eternity if we live for Jesus today. We can't just focus on, I got to get this done, and I got to get that done, and I got to paint the house, and I got to, you know, trim the, the edges, and I have to put uh, grass seeds here and pine needles there, and then I got to cook a meal, and then I, gotta, I got that project that I got to finish, and I, I got to wash to do because I got five kids and they're all messy and, and I'm like there's all kinds of stuff that we go through and I'm not saying that any of those are that should not be done of course no one wants to walk into a dirty house without without food ready and all that stuff right but let's also be mindful of eternity Colossians chapter 3 and verse 2 Paul says set your minds on things above not on earthly things. And that is just basically saying, what is the focus of our lives? Set your minds on things above. And unfortunately, for many of us, our minds are set on the things below, not on things above. And there are some days, I, I'm, on, I'm being honest and transparent with you guys, there are some days that the last thought that I have is to sit down, read my Bible, and pray and get in communion with God. Because my head is just, it feels like exploding with all the things that need to be done. Are you, are you there some days? Yeah. We all are. And the enemy takes that and he takes advantage of that situation. And so we need to be eternally minded and as citizens of the kingdom of God and do what he says. 
We need to be transformed and renewed. Romans 12 and verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does that mean? That means that we have to watch who we hang out with. We got to be careful what we listen to, the influences of our lives. Because you know what? If we allow the wrong influences, it will sway us away from what God has for us and the plans of God. Let me just conclude with this. Last week as I was um, uh, praying for this sermon, I, um, I, don't know, I decided again to start running. And so I, I told Lord, so I'm just going to go for a run. And as I, as I was running, I was saying, Lord, what is, it, what is one thing that you really want MCC to know? on Sunday about this message, that one thing that I should focus on. I was very excited. We had dinner after, and we sat down, and, and I, I mentioned to her, I said, I feel like the Lord was very clear on this thing. God said, get on the offensive. Get on the offensive. How do we become the bride revealed? Get on the offensive. We have spent way too much time on our defensive. Can you imagine any team that you like, if they play on their defensive end, are they ever going to win anything? Come on, talk to me. Are they ever going to win anything? No way. Their defense is going to be exhausted, and they're going to get goals after goals after goals, right? But if they start playing and they get on the offensive, it changes the game. The same thing for us. What is it that prevents us? Why is it that we don't get on the offensive? Is that fear of failure? We're afraid to fail. We're afraid to talk to people. We're afraid to share. We're afraid to pray for people. Is it fear that we're going to fail? You know what, guys? I'm sorry to say it, but who cares? Who cares? If you fail, does it change anything from you not doing anything? But if you succeed, does that potentially bring someone into the lap of Jesus for eternity? Potentially, yes. So we have got to change our mindset. Fear of failure will keep us away from acting in the ways of God. It's okay also if we fail. And if our failure brings us back to Jesus to say, God, what is it that I, why, why did I fail? Why did I not see your hand at work here? You know what? Ask yourself those questions and ask Jesus to reveal to you why. Is it doubt and unbelief? Maybe doubt, being uncertain, considering something that's questionably or questionable or unlikely to happen. Maybe you hesitate to believe or you have a natural distrust both for yourself and even for God sometimes. We don't trust that he can actually do what his word says. We read it. We kind of like want to believe it. But when it comes to actually getting down to the nitty gritty where the rubber hits the road and we're now talking and we're able to pray for somebody, uh, not so much. We think of, well, you know, I pray for somebody. God didn't heal that person. Why didn't God heal that person? I don't know. I really don't know. I have prayed for so many people, and God has not healed them. Then I prayed for some people, and God healed them. I prayed for people, and they went away worse than, <laughs> than before. Maybe they thought, well, what kind of prayer was that? 
I don't know. Uh, but then I prayed for people and they felt encouraged and walked away with Jesus. Guys, it's not up to us. The, the very thing that we should not do is the thing that we do. We give in to fear. We give in to doubt. We give in to unbelief. But if we begin to trust God, you know what, guys? Fear and doubt and unbelief are illegal in God's economy. We cannot allow the enemy to come with doubt and unbelief and the fear to take us away from the game. It is our time right now to get on the offensive. And you and I have a responsibility to tell a world about Jesus. There are statistics that are being put out, even Mr. Barna, that Jim says that sometimes it's a little negative. And most of the times it feels like all the statistics. I'm like, oh my gosh, you know. He, he put one out recently that 33% of elders in the church, elders, not just attenders, elders, only know what the Great Commission is. 33%, one in three people actually knows what the Great Commission is. Do you know what the Great Commission is? Oh, never mind. <laughs> I'm not going to ask. <laughs> we, don't, we don't want that 33% here. You know what he said that there's a lot of people that are crying out to hear the message of Jesus. I read one last week that talked about young people. They're looking for the reality of Jesus, not smokes and mirrors and fanfare and no, none of that. Just give us Jesus. That's what they really want. And that's what we got. The last thing I want to say is that for some of us, we use that dreaded thought of, wow, that's not my calling. That's not my calling. That's your calling. You go and tell everybody about Jesus. Hmm. John 14 verse 12 says, I tell you the truth. <clears throat> Anyone who believes in me, have you believed in Jesus? <clears throat> Come on, let me hear you. Have you believed in Jesus? All right. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done. You mean what Jesus did? I believe in him. I'm going to do the same thing. Yes. And even greater works because I am going to the Father. Because I am going to the Father. Kingdom-minded believers understand the mission. And they want to fulfill it. To say, that's not my calling. It's like saying, Jesus, you were wrong when you chose me. And Jesus never makes a mistake. He does not. And so you today have the power. Give Jesus in your heart. You have the power to proclaim the gospel message with boldness and conviction because Jesus is in you. We have a mandate to fill, to fulfill. The devil wants us to sit down, to, to replace truth with lies. And it's happening today. Everywhere we turn our head, something of that nature is happening. Truth is being replaced with a lie. But we have the truth, and his name is Jesus.